Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. I have been an avid follower of Jay LaBeouf now since soon after he launched Real Industry. It is a unique organization. It's a nonprofit that connects mentors, companies, and brands, and 40 different colleges and universities now on challenges to get them to have human connections and understand how real work works in a changing music and technology set of industries. So, and I think for some of you, this is going to be a podcast where you go, how do I get involved in this great program? That'll be in the show notes as well as at the end of the podcast. So enjoy Jay's story about how he built a unique vehicle for getting people to spend time with each other and build inspiration for next generation music and technology careers. when I think you were inquiring about real industry in UCLA, or do we meet some other way? Nope, that was that was absolutely it. And I believe uh, Jennifer Snow, I believe, introduced us. And that was when you had, you were two schools in? I think you were working with Stanford and Berkeley then? Yeah, we were Stanford, UC Berkeley, and we were actually just launching our Pandora Challenges program, which is the music business initiative that real industry works on. So I'm excited to have you on the conversation, in the conversation, because you're doing in some ways what I wish I could wave a magic wand and magically do, which is create community and coherence around careers. I didn't mean to go with alliteration of three C's there, but can you share what in the world you're doing and how in the world you had the impetus to start real industry? Absolutely. So I am uh, the founder and executive director of Real Industry, which is an educational nonprofit. And our mission is to educate, inspire, and empower university students to thrive in the arts and tech industry. And, you know, really the the motivation for doing this is uh, solving a problem that, I mean, that I had. And I'm sure a lot of, uh, Gigi, maybe you had, and a lot of, you know, people who are listening had this. Uh, you know, imagine you're you're in university through no fault of your own. You just have no idea what you mean you're going as, a, to as do. a student, not as a faculty member. Because sometimes as, we faculty member have no idea. Also. But even totally. But maybe even in you know in your own uh, you know in your own university days, it, it's hard to know what you're going to do when you graduate because you actually don't have any industry experience. You know, you're limited to these small windows that you get in the world through an internship. And that might give you a two to three month insight into how one particular company in one particular industry works. But, um, you know, when I was in school, I, I, I went to Cornell for electrical engineering. And um, all I knew was that I didn't want to be an electrical engineer. Uh, my classwork, <laughs> my classwork, was not something I enjoyed. Um, I had a few electrical engineering internships, which gave me these little peeks into industry, and uh, so th- they were useful in in the effect that uh, I I knew I didn't want to do that, but I had no idea what I did want to do. So uh, 
you know, in my case, I poured all of my heart and my time and my energy into the band I was playing in in college. And, you know, we were we were gigging out on nights and weekends. And okay, stop. What were you playing and what were you doing and what type of music? Outstanding. I am a, uh, I grew up playing piano, but uh, in this band and for most of my life, I've been a drummer. Okay. So uh, we were a... You're uh, drumming in Ithaca, New York. I'm drumming in Ithaca, New York. Uh, it is, you know, 1998, 1999 or so. Uh, I would say we were, you know, predominantly a cover band, but our original material was very, uh, very Dave Matthews band inspired. That was kind of the, the college scene at the time. And I can tell you, I was, <laughs> I was spending more time, uh, rehearsing and playing shows and recording than I was actually studying. And that should have been a tip that I was really passionate about this. Well, it is kind of cold in Cornell. You need something to do there. You absolutely do. Um, <laughs> the other big thing to do there is the, uh, the 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 fraternity party scene. So we were uh, very big on the uh, the music circuit, and that kept us very very entertained. Um, so one of the things that uh, you know was kind of a big inflection point, and I promise this will get back to real industry, is in my case, you know, I'm spending time in a recording studio. And it's just one of these moments, everybody's sitting in the control room and kind of looking around and I start seeing all these blinking lights and, you know, our engineer is sitting behind a monstrous mixing console. So you have all these faders and knobs and buttons and we're comping together. Basically, we're editing our vocalists take in Pro Tools and using Auto-Tune on it. And then it just hit me. Wait a minute. There's a lot of engineering that goes into these tools. And I bet... There's a lot of business and a lot of marketing. This whole music production and technology thing, that's an actual thing that I could work on. And this light bulb went off um, that motivated me not only to, to you know, finish my studies and take it more seriously, but uh, you know, then to go on to grad school to study this. And I, I just, you know, I haven't, a lot of university students don't have that light bulb moment where they can connect what they're learning in school to a, a product that they're passionate about that they might be maybe even use every day. So that's, that's what we're trying to do right now is actually bring some of the most amazing companies and brands, as well as some incredible mentors from industry onto university campuses. So I'm going to fast forward you to being on a university campus. You got inspired also to do this. My recollection brings me because you were teaching at an engineering program and finding this opportunity to be ripe. Yeah. So, you know, at the, uh, if you, if you fast forward 15 years later, um, at that time I was on the executive team of Isotope, which is a, a prominent music and audio technology company. Um, I was giving a series of guest talks, and I'd be asked to come in and talk about, you know, uh, artificial intelligence and music, or I'd ask, you know, be asked to talk about, you know, how do you make an audio plugin or something like that. And I started uh, started pivoting more and more of my talks towards talking about the actual product creation process, and uh, just kind of on a whim. One day I was giving a, a guest talk at NYU and you know, I, I, I give them, the, their students there, the credit. Um, I was talking with students beforehand and just floating a couple of ideas for what I would talk about that day. And uh, I said, you know, why don't I just talk about how a given version of Pro Tools was actually made when I worked there? 
And they were like, you can do that? You know, that, that's something that's allowed? I'm like, sure, I can, I'll talk about, it was nine months long. I'll talk about who all the team members and what their job titles were and what everybody did. And I'll give you a couple anecdotes of, you know, what worked and what didn't work and, you know, how we prioritize features. Uh, and so that guest talk really kind of kicked everything off. Um, that day, I kind of decided I have to be one of these industry people that is on university campuses all the time. And I need to get all of our industry mobilized and on campus as well, because that talk was the most engaged talk I ever did. Um, everybody was leaning forward, taking notes, uh, staying until the very end, because they they realized that you really can't get a lot of good industry knowledge on a university campus. It's you know, it's, it just doesn't even, happen. well, this wasn't in the, what year was this? This was not that long ago. This is 2014. So we still had the beautiful internet that people could go search for this information, but I would contest where the heck and how the heck would they do that or know to look for it, which makes this even more pertinent. Right. Absolutely. Because I get comments. So uh, I started teaching 2010 at uh, UCLA, Al- actually before it was UCLA Alpert, but UCLA Alpert, around the time it was UCLA Alpert. Um, and uh, my students, even to this day, will sometimes say, well, I looked for it online, I couldn't find it, and I didn't know what to do next on looking for a job in music. Those students, I will... Uh, challenge them in a different direction quite quickly. But the interest in in anticipation for students to not necessarily need to leave campus in this era where they don't have cars and to go explore on their own, maybe I just feel old. (laughs) Because I was doing that all the time when I was back in film school as a young person. But the sort of the how to indoctrinate this very digital crew into how to find out, I don't know, when, when you were a younger person, was this something that was much more normal for students to go out and do this exploring on their own? Well, I mean, one, one, one incident that, uh, you know, I always like to share with people was, uh, it actually relates to how I, it was the first inflection point of how I thought I wanted to get into music and technology um, without even knowing it. And it always goes to, you know, somebody it being around you and inspiring you. So in this case, um, a Berkeley College of Music professor, uh, Dr. Boulanger, Dr. Richard Boulanger, um, happens to be from the same hometown that I am in Massachusetts. And he came to our elementary school and plugs in his acoustic guitar. And he just, you know, starts playing for a class assembly. And it starts out being this beautiful acoustic guitar. But uh, Dr. B being who he is, hits a couple of pedals, tweaks some knobs, and next thing you know, it is, you know, being transformed into duck sounds. And <laughs> you can imagine how amazing this is when you're a fourth grader uh, hearing an acoustic guitar and it turned into a duck. And then he, you know, does a little bit more and now it's a distorted electric guitar. And, you know, the ability to see a human, you know, and I'm sure I could have found uh, YouTube videos. They didn't exist at that time, but I nowadays you can find videos and online content for anything. But having someone come in that you can ask questions of, that you can hold in your mind as a potential mentor, as somebody you can reach out to, um, 
I strongly believe in that that mentorship and that personal inspiration model, and that's that's actually why um, you know I've I have kind of transitioned away from doing uh, you know online courses and you know recording a lot of uh, YouTube content. Uh, the first year of real industry, our model was okay. We're going to educate, inspire, and empower university students through doing online classes. And you know, we spent a lot of our time and resources filming these very high production value interviews that um, you know you can have thousands and thousands of people watch them, but it, there's really no tangible measure that you're making an impact. And when you do it through a university campus visit or visiting a school or even you know sitting down with a handful of students, um, does that scale? Well, no, it doesn't scale as well, but does it have impact? If that's what you really want to have, nothing in my mind can beat experiential education. And you found, or at least seem to have found from looking at this from the outside, that there is almost a, um, a human energy marketplace of people who want to mentor and companies who want to reach out into the schools and companies who want to sponsor challenges. Can you describe a little bit more about the model you Walk, you moved into, I was going to say wandered into, but I think it was anything but a wander that yeah. you moved into that created then a marketplace of the mentorship and challenges. Absolutely. And I, I love that phrase, a human energy marketplace. I'm, I'm definitely going to write that down. <laughs> it's fantastic. So um, like, you know, this is my first nonprofit. And uh, one thing that I can you know, explain for anybody who might wonder how is a nonprofit different than you know a startup. Um, if you treat your nonprofit as if it's a startup, it'll be the best thing you ever do. So, applying all those same principles, um, you know, we were trying out online courses, and I was trying some university classes, and I was trying all these different models for how we could impact university students. And it, it's really tough because the students weren't finding strong impact. But the other thing you need to do as part of any business is you have to figure out how to keep the lights on and how to bring in money. So, um, you know, I just started connecting with uh, a number of friends in industry. And, uh, you know, one person who is, you know, he was on our board and is, is a good friend now, uh, Mike Herring. Mike was the chief financial officer and president of Pandora for a long time. So I started bouncing ideas off of Mike, um, you know, when he came to do a, a class classroom visit and saying, you know, Mike, uh, what would make Pandora excited about, you know, helping out university students? Like, how could I get you guys to support the work we're doing with real industry? And, you know, he just said, he's like, well, I, I love sitting in front of, you know, classrooms of students, you know, maybe we could, you know, do a, a challenge for them, or, you know, we could do a, you know, a hackathon or something like that. And we kind of kept riffing with it and discovered this design challenges model. So, you know, a uh, lot of credit, I, you know, I still give to Pandora because they are, you know, real industry's largest uh, corporate supporter, and we've done the most number of design challenges with them. And what that model is, is you basically, uh, it's a two-week on-campus event where you do a, you know, a kickoff at the university. Uh, so, usually about 100 students attends this kickoff. And at the kickoff, you give them a challenge. Uh, so, you know, for some of the Pandora challenges, these were music and social impact challenges. 
and you bring in a bunch of industry mentors, you bring in a ton of unique resources and maybe access to data, to software development kits, to uh, things that university students don't otherwise have access to. And then you just kind of engage the students to work on that challenge for about two weeks and then, you know, submit the results and present them at the very end. Well, let me, let me ask a little bit of clarifying question here. So I know when you got started, a lot of this was engineering and, and more technical-ish students. Mm-hmm. How did, did this grow into being more cross-campus or did this still thrive in a more technical environment? In, indeed. In fact, we, we actually break it into uh, kind of two different, two different tracks or two different themes of challenges that we end up doing. There are the technically oriented design challenges or maybe like the product design challenges. And then there are kind of the content creation challenges. So, you know, our, our music business challenges are a great example of content creation where maybe you're working on a, a digital marketing plan or you are actually, you know, growth hacking uh, to try to increase the number of plays of, uh, you know, a certain playlist that, you know, has goals in mind for the artist. Uh, you know, another great example of a, a content creation challenge that we we actually just kicked off last week. Um, so that was uh, January 24th. We kicked off a challenge at the University of Michigan in partnership with Facebook. And this was a immersive audio 360 audio challenge where we give the students uh, several 360 videos to choose from. Um, we have them form teams. We give each team an Oculus Go uh, VR headset to use. We give them a ton of instructions, office hours, mentorship from the Facebook guys. And uh, what we do is we want them to create their very first immersive audio uh, tracks you know, that they, they've ever created. And we look at this as, here's this new medium. That- well, actually, I'm going to ask you to stop and define immersive audio. Absolutely. So, uh, immersive audio is uh, you know can go by many, many, many names: three D audio, three sixty audio. But uh, the the simplest way to to think about it is when you walk out into your natural world, you can very clearly hear that there's a bird chirping right above your head, and there's somebody talking to you who's slightly off to the right, and then there's a car that just drove past past you, you know, and it's about two hundred feet behind you. Um, these are things that we can very easily localize. And as we spend more and more time consuming virtual content, the one of the first things that breaks down that perception that you're actually in a virtual world is you need great audio. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I've you know I've seen some some VR content, which will be a live concert, but then the concert's only mixed in stereo. So you just have audio coming out of the left ear and the right ear, but you have no perception that there's things in front of you, behind you, above you, um, that that sense of immersion is gone. Or when you move your head, the audio is not moving. There's no panning along with it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. The the VR people would say, okay, the, the content isn't headlocked. And so that whole imagery just kind of breaks down, the realism breaks down, and your brain just kind of has this, huh? moment because that <laughs> that that should be happening and as the visuals track in real time with a low latency and are increasingly more real we really need the audio to do that as well and um you know so, the- so what type of students then and this is both understanding 
something about music audio and tracks, understanding something about, I'm assuming, plugins, understanding, I'm assuming you're doing this in Unity or something else. Um, so you're needing students who, who are kind of bimodal, who are both creative and technical, or what type of students came to this challenge at University of Michigan? Great question. Uh, we we put the call out and we specifically, we didn't tell them what major they should have uh, in order to be successful. We actually gave them the roles that we wanted them to serve. So one of them, we said, we need a lead audio engineer. And in this case, um, the tool of choice that we're using is uh, Avid Pro Tools. Okay. Uh, and, and we're doing this because uh, we're doing it for cinematic VR. So this is, you know, traditional linear, you hit the, you know, you hit the space bar and the content rolls uh, start to finish. Um, the user can look around in the content and explore, but it's non-interactive. So that's so this so it's it's 360 video. 360 video, correct. Okay. So um, we were using we wanted to use Avid Pro Tools for this, and uh, Pro Tools, as many of you know, is a very you know it's a very deep product, and so we wanted somebody on the team to to say, I'm going to be the Pro Tools person. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the lead engineer. Um, and also, you know, you need a reasonably powerful computer. You need Pro Tools Ultimate, which is a, you know, $1,000 a year subscription. Um, so we, we wanted people to, you know, apply for that role. And, oh, and was Pro Tools, was Avid a sponsor of the project? Yes. Um, Avid very generously donated um, copies of uh, Avid Pro Tools Ultimate so the students could get involved because they're really interested to see what the students are doing with their tools. Cool. Um, so the so you other, have a lead, you have lead audio engineer. We and had the then, lead audio engineer, and then we had two other roles. We said we we want to approach this like it's a real, you know, a, a real uh, audio post production process. So we want the team to look like that. So you're going to have a lead audio engineer who's going to assemble, mix, and do the final edits. Uh, but we also want a sound designer. So in this case, you can have one or more sound designers per team, and What's so great about this role is your your major doesn't matter. The tools that you know do not matter. You're only limited by your creativity. So the sound designer's role is to find, record, edit, curate, create the sounds that are to be a part of this immersive audio world. Um, so in this role, uh, one of the tools we provided with students, uh, we provide them with uh, access to Pro Sound Effects, which is a, a cloud-based audio and sound effects library. So they generously donated uh, the tools for students to use for sound effects work. Um, but we also encourage students to, you know, go out with a handheld recorder or, you know, use your use the mic on your uh, on your iPhone uh, or your Android device to go out record some sounds, and then, you know, use your favorite digital audio workstation to kind of build up these soundscapes. Uh, the final role we had was the, what we called, you know, you are the music supervisor. So you have an immersive world. It's a great opportunity to either put together some um, existing tracks. Uh, we provided students with some music, music stems um, that were all broken out so students could remix them in 360 if they want, um, or uh, some of the composers 
who are part of the the Michigan uh, project are actually going out and they're creating works specifically for 360 right now. Cool. So you have a variety of parties, both contributing equipment, bringing their students to bear, companies who are putting the challenges out. How do they get sold in, but how do they then measure their their uh, human ROI for participating in this? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, everybody, it's one of the things that even if you're pursuing a, a nonprofit initiative where, you know, it should be that the outcome is we are empowering the future leaders of our industry. And for a healthy industry, we should all give back. Um, I wish I could say that everybody participated and gave so generously of their time only for that. But we can be real. And we know that you know every company has competing demands and a huge list of priorities that they need to hit. So uh, for companies to participate, you know, usually falls into a few things. Um, recruiting is often a you know, a very, a very key thing that companies are looking for. And by that, um, more specifically, I mean, employer branding. And what employer branding is, uh, you know, think about the typical, you know, university career fair model, where all the companies show up at the same day, they all have their Costco tables all next to each other. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that model is, is amazingly still around. And you have a lot of I have a lot of empathy for you know the small audio company or you know the small indie label that no one's heard of because people aren't queuing up to give their resumes to that company and to ask those people questions. They're lining up behind the Googles, the Amazons, the uh, Universal Music Groups. Um, everybody's just kind of going for the big names because that's who they know. And employer branding basically means um, you need to do something to make your brand known so that way a student or a professional is aware of what you're doing and thinks it's actually cooler than one of those more established brands. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest successes we've seen um, as a nonprofit is being able to do some matchmaking from companies that, you know, are really looking to, you know, scout and hire the best and brightest, um, but want a differentiated way of engaging with those students. And, uh, you know, I see a great opportunity for these companies to come on campuses, for them to donate to our organization and support the work we're doing. In the process of a design challenge, students happen to work on their products. Um, you know, we don't blatantly say, you know, work on this technology design challenge for Bose and you will get a job. Uh, rather, if we do a good job, of course, students are going to think that, Bose is a very cool company and Sonos is a very cool company. Uh, and if we don't do a good job, then that, you know, that whole thing just falls apart. How does the school measure success and what are they having to put on the table to play? Yeah. So these, because there's a lot of competing interests and actually competing parties at a university, right? You have the career centers, you've got the departments who uh, I'm assuming you're having to, uh, you're getting the opportunity to work with a blend of the two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, if I think about uh, most of the universities that we work with, the career centers, the career centers are the most underutilized places on university campuses, and the career centers know this and are excited to get students in, more involved 
with considering their future careers and starting to think about future roles, mentorship, uh, and recruiting possibilities. Um, when I work with different departments, um, oftentimes we work with the departments that don't otherwise have access to these type of companies, mentors, uh, and you know, and resources. Uh, you know, universities are very good at putting on events. Uh, I'm sure at UCLA on any given night, there's you know, 15 competing concerts and info sessions and amazing outside people coming onto campus. And you know what? You know one gap that um, real real industry has been trying to fill is bringing companies and forging connections between departments that don't otherwise have access to these materials and companies that you know see a great chance to partner with them and be part of the process. Uh, so I, when it's yeah. done, how does everyone figure that they've thrived? I mean, beforehand, I can see I understand the logic for this. I'm willing to do it, but when they're done, do they survey students? Do they, you know, take a look at their hires? I mean, how, uh, I'm assuming you get a lot of repeat business from folks. I'm asking this because I actually do a lot of career programs and projects myself, yeah. and a lot of it is, you know, how do you get all the parties to want to come back and do this a second time? And universities have different metrics than companies do. Absolutely. So, um, for both universities and companies, this is something that we can we can all agree on. Um, we do a, uh, you know, so we have qualitative and quantitative feedback. Um, the qualitative feedback, that's the easiest to measure, you know. Usually, the students are having an incredible time. Um, they give us fantastic quotes, incredible testimonials. We have all these, you know, incredible stories of students that you know are discovering their passion for what they want to do, discovering a new career role, um, and like this is their inspiration point uh, for their future careers. Uh, numerically, um, we do it through impact surveys. So. You know, one of the things that we're most proud of is uh, we ask students, um, you know, if it were not for real industry, you know, would you have had access to these type of skills and workshops and resources that we're providing you? And uh, last year, for example, uh, in 2018, 86% of the students that we worked with said that they would not have had access to any of these materials if it weren't for real industry. And this really helps us show that um, you know we're not replacing anything that the university is doing. We're actually augmenting the students' experience, and we're helping to take what students are learning in their classes and just apply it in a you know in this case in a unapologetically real world design challenge that's proposed by a company. Um, that 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 really really hits home for us. So who is us now? So you started this from from dreams, aspirations, and and seeing an opportunity. And we're in a changing environment where jobs are changing, and the way music is being created is changing. What have you kind of grown into, and where are you wanting to grow to? Those are kind of two separate questions. Absolutely. So in order to grow something like this. Um, I could not have done this without having had an amazing network of friends, industry, you know, industry colleagues, um, you know, everybody, basically everybody that I've uh, kept in touch with from my first internships up through, you know, when I was, 
when I was at Isotope and when I was, you know, starting to do some guest teaching at Stanford. Um, when you have a big project uh, such as real industry, what you need to do is draw upon the collective, you know, goodwill of that entire network to let them know what you're working on, and then to ask for help. Uh, so right now, um, you know, just I'm thrilled. We have 400 industry mentors that wow. are willing to be part of this. I know it's 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 incredible, and they they are like our you know our, our superhuman strength. You know, as a team, we're only four people full time, but you know, we're four people full time. Last year, we put on, I believe it was sixteen or seventeen of these large, you know, large multi-campus design challenges. Um, you know, we we count companies like Pandora, Facebook, Sonos, you know, Bose as some of our you know our lead sponsors. Um, that's that's not because I'm able to do this all this by myself. It's because we have such uh, such a great network of people who are volunteering, who are always kind of looking out for us and who want university students to succeed. So your roadmap, you've got this great network, you've got traction, you've got ground speed, you have, I'm assuming, a very busy personal schedule. What do you need and what do you see that companies and colleges need and students need that people who listen to this podcast may be able to reach in and help with or that they see themselves on your roadmap? Where are you going? Where are we going? Uh, so we have served 40 universities uh, over the past four and a half years that I've been doing this, which is incredible. But we're only scratching the surface of the universities that we can serve um, and, you know, one of the things that we, we need to do is we need to, we need to scale. So that's, that's something that we're, we're actively talking about and I'm working with our mentors and our board on is how do we scale the real industry model to support every university that wants us on their campus? And how do we enable any company that wants to, you know, mentor students at a campus to get more actively involved? So, um, I think our most valuable role going forward is to be that bridge and is to be that, uh, you know, I've heard it described as, you know, we're, you know, just being an intelligent router. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's the best way that I encourage anybody who's uh, listening in that, that does want to help out. You know, if you're a university that does want something like this on your campus, uh, on our website, there's a get involved button in the upper right. That's a great way to let us know that you're interested and we will do our best to bring our programming there. And if we can't for any reason, we will ensure you have access to all the industry people you need uh, to support your students. Um, same thing for companies. You know, we uh, we have a lot of uh, inbound requests of you know companies that maybe want to uh, donate some tools or um, they're interested in supporting students in a particular location. Um, well, that's a fantastic way for. Uh, for real industry to be able to help out is to know that we have some inbound requests from universities. We have companies that have resources, and then we can play, uh, you know, kind of play the the bridge between academia and industry that way. So, um, having come off of a recent nonprofit board and having been on several, um, are you needing more people with money? Uh, are, uh, are you growing a, a bigger money board? Are there other ways that companies on the leadership end could help you? 
Well, absolutely. So one of the ways that, uh, one of the things I never knew uh, about a nonprofit was how it actually brought in money. Uh, so the first, the, I know that dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, you know, so for for anybody that actually is wondering, like, how, how does a nonprofit uh, make money? Uh, the interesting thing is, yes, you you do have. I mean, it's it's like a a startup once again that can make money from basically any possible way aside from issuing shares and, you know, doing angel and venture investment. Um, you know, so, so what we did with real industry, we, you know, we, we have it right now. We're about uh, probably about 70, 75% of um, what it takes to put on these programs is from corporate sponsors. And these are corporate sponsors who are able to underwrite all of the costs uh, for a design challenge. So we don't really, expect the universities to write a big check for this thing to happen. Um, we look to the companies that often have the resources and will get the most benefit uh, to help us support these students. So always looking for amazing brand partners, uh, companies, um, you know, anybody who's willing to, uh, interested to come on a campus, uh, we would, you know, love your support and love to use this to power more workshops. Uh, the remaining 25% of what we're doing is actually sponsored by individuals. So, um, you know, we do have a board of directors and they give quite generously. And we also uh, really just started our own uh, philanthropic initiatives where, you know, this past November, November 2018, uh, we had a gala event in San Francisco at the Great American Music Hall. And this is where our industry mentors for the first time, had the opportunity to financially donate to real industry. So this is something we're growing as well, where uh, we have a lot of universities that we want to hit that uh, we just we can't serve through corporate partners. And you know we have some programming that we want to do, which is outside of something that a corporate partner would be willing to donate to support. Uh, and that's also something that we, we really want to raise our individual giving on. So I have a last question uh, uh, coming from my side of this, and that is um, you have a unique vantage point of talking with many companies about the types of people they're looking for and the changes that they're seeing in their industry and companies. What are you seeing as the trends in what companies are looking to young people to come in to do in their organizations? So I'd say two things um, that I really try to highlight because uh, I, I, I love the time that I get to spend with you know, all these hiring managers and you know, HR directors to talk about what they're looking for. Um, so increasingly, companies are looking for experience. And this might seem like a catch-22. I mean, uh, how do you, as a student, demonstrate that you have experience in digital marketing you know, or experience in spatial audio when you haven't actually worked at that company yet, or you haven't, you know, had a lot of internships doing it. And this is where, you know, we, we coach, we coach the students that, listen, the companies don't expect you to have that real world, like being paid to do it experience. They want you to see that you're doing stuff outside of the classroom that is pushing your boundaries, that you are learning uh, things that you know your your professors aren't teaching you, you know. So this could be volunteering 
uh, for an organization. It could be doing you know digital marketing on your you know your friend's band and testing out new techniques, and then going for that you know Google SEO certification or that HubSpot certification for for marketing. Mm-hmm. And these are all ways that you can demonstrate that you actually have more experience because that's a trend. Um, there's just so many amazing hires out there that uh, the bar is higher that you know people want people with more experience coming out. Um, the other thing that is a, actually a soft skill that uh, just seems to, I'm not sure it's lacking any more than when I was in school, but uh, all of us in industry are much more aware of it now, is follow-up. So <laughs> what, we want, uh-huh. what we want is uh, people that are just absolutely tenacious about a given job post. So, you know, politely following up on uh, the status of, you know, the, your internship request or, you know, uh, another great example. I mean, I, I coordinate so many guest speakers uh, coming up onto campuses and um, I will watch a guest speaker basically say, hey, you know, this is what I do. And if any of you have any questions or if you need an introduction to anybody else at the company, please reach out to me. Um, I'll stand up here. I'll hand out my business cards. Please reach out to me if you have any more information. And I will watch 95% of the students just barrel out of the back of the room and never come back. Um, and, and only a tiny handful that stand at the front of the room getting that person's business card. And then even a tiny fraction of that actually follow up with that guest speaker. And that's just just really a shame because I think... For so many students, if you truly want to be part of, let's say if it's, if it's the music industry, if you truly want to go into the music industry, then why not use the odds towards your favor and go up to every guest speaker at the end of the class, everybody who you know, comes in to, to visit your class or visit your university, introduce yourself, get their contact information, thank them for coming in, make them part of your network. And you know, that is really kind of the key to success. But unfortunately, you know, 95% of students just, just don't follow up on even you know, a, a, an offer like that. And that's it. I mean, 40 universities that you're talking to. Uh, I find interesting also, I'll talk with students and they'll say, I'll, I'll do it at the end of the quarter or this end of the semester. It's like, well, then you're not top of mind anymore. We had a student who walked up and was talking to someone this past term, and by the end of the break, ended up with an internship. As a person needed somebody right now to do an internship, and it happened to be the right time, the right moment, the right conversation. And I'm, I'm setting up those great plan happen chances. Uh, I, it, I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. So appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a, a a trick that that I've used for years that I encourage anybody to try out, um, and, which is let's say you go to a one day long conference. Um, in order to actually follow up on all of the connections, opportunities, discussions, thank yous that you probably made at that one day one day long conference, you should allocate the following day after that just towards that correspondence. And now you can start seeing. Wow! If you're at a four-day conference, or you know you're at, you're off at South by Southwest, you truly need to just take the following week and just reserve it for phone calls, thank you notes, emails. Um, you know that that's really what it takes. Um, 
but very. Well, I would say for South by, I need maybe a couple of weeks afterwards to recover, <laughs> but that's a whole other thing. With Absolutely. But, but, but let people have a gigantic stack of business cards and then they don't know who that person was, what they did. I'm always telling everyone to write on the business card what time it was, what you said, and have that as that prompt. Of course, I'm bad at that. Um, I'll have a gigantic box of business cards later go, what the heck was that card for? Um, any, thank you. This has been a great conversation. I've, I've enjoyed watching what you do grow. Do you have any last comments to wrap up the conversation? Well, last questions? Things you know, I didn't ask. Yeah, I, I want to, first off, I mean, thank you for the, the great work that you're doing in teaching students these, these soft skills and things that, you know, even those of us in industry, we really, we, we know that we should be doing them and we can get better at. Um, you know, I, this is the most important work that I've ever worked on. And, you know, for a lot of these things, you know, if you might work on a, you work on a technology product and then you're excited because, you know, maybe 5% of, you know, the music industry maybe uses it and cares about it. Or you, you work on an album and you release it and you have some fans that it's really important and pivotal to them. Um, but then a lot of other people don't know about it and maybe don't care about it. What I love about what I'm doing right now with real industry and, you know, a way that our industry can kind of get back and support students is, you know, we were all students at some point who are completely clueless about how the industry and the real world actually worked. And this is, you know, it's just a great way to bring everybody together so we can support all the students who do want our help. So if anybody is interested in helping out, um, either as a mentor, uh, as a company that wants to get involved, or even a university that we can help out as well, uh, my full-time job is to uh, be that intelligent router and uh, just kind of help add value to every interaction. So really, really thrilled. So to follow up, they would go to realindustry.org and hit the get involved button on the upper right-hand corner and follow you on other socials. Is there a place to follow you or follow on other means, uh, things that are going on with real industry? Absolutely. The most active, uh, most active channel for us is actually still our uh, still our email list. Uh, email will not go away. We have great engagement rates there, and that's absolutely the best way to stay involved with what we're doing. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate the conversation and continuing to be a fangirl for all your great work. Oh, thank you, Gigi. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.